Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Canteen the Conversation. Today's episode features an interview with Hannah Dolby. We're talking about her book, No Life for a Lady. Uh, readers in the U.S. can look forward to that coming out on May 9th, but readers in the U.K., that's uh, available to you already as of a couple months ago. So, you know, keep a lookout for it if you haven't already seen it. Uh, either way, this conversation with Hannah was so lovely. It was so enjoyable talking to her about this wonderful book that she put out. No Life for a Lady is such a funny, charming book, and it was really cool to just hear about Hannah's experiences writing her debut novel and um, just, you know, some of her processes as she was putting the book together. But either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Hannah Dolby. So today we've got Hannah Dolby. We're talking about No Life for a Lady. It's available for U.S. readers on May 9th. But if you're in the U.K., it's available now. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. I loved this book. <laughs> it was so charming and lovely. And I think um, Violet Hamilton has become like one of my favorite female characters like ever. And so I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. So glad you enjoyed it. So uh, before we get started, can you give like a little synopsis, like summary of the book so listeners can follow along with the conversation? Absolutely. So it is um, the story of Violet Hamilton, who lives in Seaside Hastings um, in the Victorian era, late um, 1896. And she is searching for her missing mother who disappeared from Hastings Pier uh, 10 years before, but she's quite an unconventional Victorian lady as well. So she doesn't really want to get married for various reasons. And um, she's frantically rejecting all the suitors their father sets up for her. So there's a bit of a mystery at its heart, but there's also a little bit of her finding herself as well, a bit of coming of age mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, it was a little bit refreshing and it's so interesting. Yeah, but because you're it's set in such like, a time period where a woman who didn't want to get married was like, Ooh, like what's wrong with her? So, <laughs> so can we go into your uh, background a little bit and, um, you know, professionally, personally, anything that kind of leads up to you wanting to share Violet's story with the world? Absolutely. So I have a, a long background in PR. So I've worked in lots of um, interesting places. Like um, I worked for, um, the um, Royal Horticultural Society Chelsea Flower Show, which some people might know. Um, and I also worked for Buckingham Palace um, and Windsor Castle promoting their exhibitions um, and for the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, which is where I'm originally from. I'm from Edinburgh. Um, so a really interesting um, PR career. And I feel my life's been a, a gathering of stories so far for this <laughs> novel. So it's kind of, it's all come to fruition in in this novel and I also lived in Hastings where the novel is set um, when I studied journalism in my early 20s and it stayed with me ever since because it's such a sort of crumbling Victorian um, grand place really and I think that that inspired me and kind of stayed in my mind all these years but it's not until lockdown that I really had the time to Mm. write um, and, and get off the kind of the bandwagon of the of the daily commute um, mm-hmm. and write that story. So it's been really positive experience for me in a way. Um, yeah, not- absolutely. Um, now this is your debut novel, correct? Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Right. That's exciting. It's yeah. So exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so exciting, and um, it's been a, a kind of a mad year as well because I so basically last. May I submitted 
three chapters to the Comedy Woman in Print Awards, um, which is a UK award for comedy writing. Um, fantastic, um, run by the comedian Helen Ledder. And um, I was long listed and had to write the full novel in about two weeks. <laughs> and, uh, so I wrote it at great speed. Um, I've never, I don't know if I could ever do it again. Um, <laughs> um, basically, yeah, just set my mind to it. And then um, I was shortlisted and then got runner up, which is like joint second prize. Um, and since then that helped me get an agent and a publisher and the novel and the kind of published novel came from there. So it's been one of those kind of roller coaster years really, which has been fantastic yeah absolutely so what kind of inspired you to to share like where did this story come from where did Violet's story come from what inspired you to like to enter yourself into that contest or or you know in the first place so um I had done very, lots of different creative writing courses and I was already writing about Violet Hamilton, um, but she was having a very miserable time of it she was uh, I think I was trying to be literary and important and, and write something great, um, great literary merit. And she was having a bit of a miserable time. She was married already. She was uh, <laughs> suffering. <laughs> and I think it was, um, and then I spotted the Comedy Women in Print Awards and I thought, wouldn't it actually be great to write about a woman who could navigate her way through those Victorian restrictions, who could make the best of them, who could have fun, who could... Um, seize adventure when it when it came across her path and I think that's where the idea came from is just how do you liberate a woman within those restrictions and how do you ensure that her life is better than than it probably was in real in real life (laughs) Mm -hmm. I yeah that's like I, I love that you did that and that kind of helped you to pull out a more interesting you know like what can I put my character through what would make her more interesting what would kind of like spark the narrative right you know you have to give her a problem but you have to give her something interesting about herself and in that time period of like a late 1800s uh uk she's a spinster and then it's like that plus her mother disappeared and you know in society they're just like oh god like oh don't rub you know don't want that to rub off on me like <laughs> and then the poor violet she's just like okay like fine and she just like rolls with the punches almost but i just like love her personality i love the character you developed because she's like she's just she's like almost like on the fence of naive but also wanting to figure things out like wanting like she's she's not afraid to like search for answers she's not um afraid to ask questions and it's it's adorable like her her approach to (laughs) everything is so adorable and um you know i want to be spoiler free also but like i loved like with her and benjamin Mm -hmm. every interaction between them i was like so excited just anytime they were both in a conversation together anytime they were on the page together it was like it just in general and she's hilarious she is so funny like it's like just like her inner monologue like i can't remember the last time i like literally like smiled or laughed out loud or like laughed in my head like at like so often like during a book and just during like not just her inner monologue but also like the dialogue between characters as well and like you know all these suitors and she's just like look here this is this is the truth like this is i'm gonna save you some time like (laughs) and then just the fact that you know if if just on a a chance occurrence that 
one of her suitors is looking for her and she like goes and hides. It's like, it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. Like I, I just love her and I love the character you developed. And I thought it was just like some, I just, you know, kudos to you for, for um also not just the character, but the dialogue and just some Thank of the things you. that in her brain and out of her mouth, it's, it's just hilarious, <laughs> but it's so refreshing and, and, and wonderful. Um, oh. I, I loved it. I'm so glad. Yeah, she was lovely to write about, and and she's certainly a character. When you put her in different situations, you're never quite sure how she's going to react or what she's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she told me what she was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> nice yeah. Sort of takes you over a bit and runs away. I think that's oh, ex- exactly, exactly. That that's. I mean, but that's when you know that you've created like a really great character who kind of just oh, all of a sudden she showed up or this, she said this, or she did this. So, um, and then also with, um, what was her name? The old woman who kind of plays a prank on her. Maria. She really, yeah. I just yeah. also, their interactions were so like wholesome. It's funny. <laughs> like at first it's just like, <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, Violet, like, <laughs> like how is she not? But, you know, you you kind of understand because she didn't have, like, her mother, you know, to talk about her, you know, to educate her on on some of those subject matters that would prepare her for, like, you know, interacting with with men or just stepping onto that more intimate level that's involved with marriage or just courting. And... And even so, like the, the the information she did get from her mother wasn't very <laughs> wasn't really in line with what a lot of people uh think or feel. Well, it was her her mother's opinion of the um that subject matter was very different from like, <laughs> you know, what was and I just yeah, you you feel for Violet and and the unfortunate um, you know, lack of information or lack of experience is, you know, just kind of propels her into her rea- interactions with others. And it, it's hilarious, like, unfortunate circumstances that she finds herself into because she just doesn't know any better. And I just, I love it. <laughs> There's definitely something in there about when I was doing my research, I was thinking about that innocence and that, um, because there was definitely that feeling that that Victorian women should be um innocent before they were married and they should be um pure and they should be a, a good good unmarried woman um wasn't really um awakened in 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 life until after her her wedding night with her husband um if that's not a plot spoiler <laughs> mm, <laughs> um, no. but um and but there was that kind of feeling and i think i wanted to kind of express that frustration that an unmarried woman must have felt in those days especially if your mother wasn't around to tell you what was what and what life was about that kind of feeling of being of of finding out what you need to know in life um there, there were so few avenues really i mean what did you do did you order books did you mm-hmm. um did you go to the library did you you know what how how on earth do you find out what you need to know when when a good woman actually shouldn't know anything um about the facts of life and about about yeah anything too much in depth really um so i wanted to put her in that situation but also write the scales a little bit and give her the chance to find out what yeah. she wants life (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's so unfair right it's like oh but but she yeah it's like oh she shouldn't know because she needs to be pure like women should be pure and naive before their wedding night but then how are you supposed to learn how to 
keep that marriage alive and going and keep that intimate like relationship the intimate part of the relationship healthy it's like it's the double-edged sword like you know it, it women are at the time we're just kind of battling uphill to do what, exactly. what was asked of them and how do you avoid danger as well if you're not told what specifically what the danger is or what to be if you're told something vague about just avoiding men or about you don't really know what you're actually supposed to avoid <laughs> and I think so there's that kind of innocence that hampers you in in life really and I wanted to kind of bring that out I know that it does you know have funny funny connotations as well if she uh, yeah she- I mean just the way that her mother described those parts is just <laughs> and she's like you know I, I and then she goes you know obviously want to be spoiler free but just like what she was comparing it to and so Violet ventures on her own to, to find examples of what to compare it to and it's just she's just like she doesn't want to get caught either like looking for <laughs> examples and it's just like everything, it would seem like every opportunity you just like made it so clever, and she was it was just so funny, and I I, I just loved it. Um, but it's kind of expanding like on your research, what was like your approach, and was it similar to like kind of how you, um, you know, because if you were taking creative writing mm-hmm. courses, workshops, things like that, was the research? Did you approach it kind of like a similar way, and and maybe like. You know, what was like one of the more surprising things that you learned while you were um, searching around to develop this book? So I think I didn't really learn much about research in the courses I did. They were more about writing. Um, I did read a, an interesting book, quite an older book about researching historical fiction that was that was um, useful. And I always remembered the term. I'm sure a famous author says it, but I can't remember who, but wear your research lightly. So there was an awful lot of research that went into the book, but you won't necessarily consciously notice it, I think. I, I absolutely love the research part. And my, my, the danger is that I could just be researching all the time and never actually <laughs> write the book. So I had to be quite strict with myself. But um, I, I went to Hastings and stayed in Hastings um, for quite a few, uh, you know, a few weekends um, over the past year. And Hastings has loads of junk and antique shops. Um, so if you root through those, you can often find ephemera, so pictures and um, postcards and letters and thing. And, and I also managed to order a map of Victorian Hastings as well. So I walked some of the streets and, and worked out um, what changed because there's still quite a lot of that Victorian and Tudor and older buildings there as well. So I did that kind of uh, working out what still remained and what, what echoes you can still see in the town. And then I also, which was fun, they have a Victorian-themed guest house called St. Benedict's in Hastings, and you can go and stay the night there, and it's a Victorian bedroom with a high bed. I tried a very high, they had very high beds in those days, and the room is just packed with knickknacks, and they have a dressing table with kind of silverback brushes and things, and, yeah, we had um, a silver service breakfast as well. So that was a really interesting <laughs> experience just to go back in time, and that was just a coincidence that that happens to be in Hastings. But yeah, it was um, great fun. And I also read, I also have um, in my bookshelf um, hundreds of lots of Victorian books as well. So I love reading original Victorian books read at the time because I think nothing else gives you that kind of insight um, into how the Victorians thought and lived and, and breathed. Yeah, absolutely. I bet with just the writing style and the way that people spoke, general, like just their like, you know, the syntax of vernacular, the... um just the way 
that like the language was used back then. I bet some some of those books definitely helped you kind of tap into um, how people just would have been communicating back then. Completely, and and what they wore. So um, I loved researching that. Um, yeah, I loved researching all the different um, corsets, corsets and clothing yeah. and dresses and things that they wore, and the giant hats because because it, it was all it did change quite fast. Um, in Victorian times, but by the late, the end of the Victorian era, they weren't wearing uh, bustles so much because that was um, quite, a, I imagine that was quite a restrictive thing to wear in a way, this giant bustle at the back of your skirt. But by the, mm. by 1896, when the book is set, um, they'd, they're sort of gone, they'd gone out of fashion and I think come back in fashion and I think they were out again. So we're all right. Should, Violet, Violet doesn't have to wear a bustle. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been another thing for her to complain about anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to explore maybe kind of expanding on that. Like, you know, with a lot of like the theme is, is, you know, expectations of women and feminism and or like budding, you know, women who, who kind of um, are anomalies or outliers. And she's like a bit of a rebel, but really she's just like, it's almost, you know, it's admirable because she's like, no, like I have no interest in getting married. She's like, <laughs> her poor father. He's just like, I don't know what's wrong with all these men that, you know, you, no, no one seems, you don't seem to like any of them. And she's just like, like I'm, I told you, like I don't want, like, you know, and and he's, he doesn't understand, and he can't, you know, and 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 so there's like that like little um disconnect between their relationship too because she feels like she can't you know, he's just trying to set her on track. He's just trying to set her, do his best to set her right. How, how, you know, she's supposed to be according to like societal norm. And <laughs> she's like, no, like, I don't want to do this. And she's like, got her sight set on like, maybe, you know, doing more with her life. And she's also just in- incredibly distracted by her mother's myst- mysterious disappearance. And, you know, why, you know, 10 years later, like why, like, why is it still bothering her? Like, why does she still not have any answers? Why does nobody care kind of thing? And um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to like, like explore that. Like if there were any um, takeaways as ter- part of, in, in terms of like, you know, any parallels that you see, like what's going on or even like the UK. Cause I mean, I'm in America, obviously. So mm-hmm. um, here it's kind of like, I mean, obviously today it's so much more accepted that, people still ask questions like well why it's like well because you don't ask people don't ask you like well why did you have kids like why why did you get married (laughs) you don't get questioned about that do you yeah Yeah. so like yeah i just kind of like want to explore like that theme of you know rebellious women or like you know that like budding feminism almost just like to her just like she kind of has to fight for just to have to be herself and yes. not only find, but then also find out how you said was coming of age to find out who she is on her own terms. Absolutely. And I think the, um, the interesting thing about um, the Victorian times is that, and it's probably similar to today is that you hear a narrative of women that conform, but once you start to look below the surface, you do come across women who aren't conforming. So um, for example, Hastings was quite full of um, elderly spinsters in the in the Victorian era because a lot of them moved there for their health and they were quite um, 
they did quite a lot in the women's suffrage movement and they were um a lot of them were quite wealthy as well um and so there was a little bit of a movement in Hastings to kind of be for women to to, to be a little m- bit more independent um than than you think and there was also quite a few women who um went off um, and explored foreign countries people like um Hester Stanhope um and I'm going to forget their names Isabel Bruma want to say but there was there was various women who did take the, the usually wealthy women to be fair but they took themselves off and explored the world on their own um, maybe with a couple of um, uh, male assistants to keep a to keep an eye on keep them safe but um but yeah they did often have adventures abroad and things so I tend to think that there were women out there who were breaking the norms and living their life in the in the in their own way but you just don't always you have to dig a bit deeper to find them I think mm-hmm. oh that's interesting I guess that yeah that's really cool that yeah you there's more than you think and yeah. that kind of points out to your research, like where you didn't, you wouldn't have really known how prevalent, like how really that budding like rebellion or like how, how much more widespread a little mm-hmm. bit and how, you know, there, it wasn't just like a woman here and there, you mm-hmm. know, it was like, there was more um, camaraderie, you know, amongst that. And then, yeah, like also that's a good point that you make, like it was mostly, it was like wealthy women who didn't have to depend on who had the finances, you know, to do that with the freedom to allow them the freedom to do that versus cause yeah. You know, <laughs> if a, a married woman was like telling her husband, like, I want to go like explore the world. Like, what do you, why? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> and I think there is a, um, there is a depressing reality, which is probably that if you were, and that's something I struggle with in writing the book because I didn't necessarily want Violet to have servants, but if she didn't have servants, she would spend her whole day laundering and cooking and cleaning and because obviously housework was more time intensive in those days. Um, and so I had to free her up from that. Um, so your average woman probably would spend most of their lives doing that domestic drudgery because yeah. that was it. So, yeah, it's hard to kind of write a woman into a freer life without giving her some support um, from people. And so that's why she does have servants who one of them, she doesn't necessarily get on with, but uh, yeah. <laughs> another story. Was it Edith was her name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. I remember that was like probably other, like some of the other like interactions I loved with her. Cause she was just like, she, she was, she was just like reluctantly accepting Edith as she was and when when benjamin like randomly visited and edith like was that was like the first time she saw her like in a good mood or like whatever and then violet like called her out on it like in front, like right there like in front of him and it's like okay well you just <laughs> you just like put this like soured her mood like any chance that you could have like milked that that pleasant face like and you just like you just sent her right back down into like, you know, vi- violent frustration mode. Like, it was just, there's like, like part of me will like, just like Violet, like chill. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not, I mean, to think she knows she's not particularly good at managing a household. And that's, I mean, in, as a woman in those days, you, that was what the, you know, the, the biggest thing you could aspire to, wasn't it? it? was managing a household well, and she doesn't really do it very well. So there's probably a consciousness there. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows that Edith knows she doesn't do yeah. it very well. 
yeah. It's so funny. Um, so like, let me see, kind of like piggybacking off of the tricky parts that you had, like what were, what were the most challenging parts to write? And then like, what were the most enjoyable parts to write? So I wrote the first draft in a tremendous hurry um, to, to submit it to the Comedy Women in Print Awards. So that um, was difficult in terms of the amounts of words I had to write, but but it almost freed me up from overanalyzing every aspect of the book. So in a way, it was what set the writing free for me because I just had to get the words down and I had to get the story down and it just had to it had to fly or I wouldn't be able to hand it in to the competition. So I think um, it was that was challenging in terms of the word count, but I really actually quite enjoyed that. I obviously, maybe it's working in PR, I don't know, but I quite like the title. <laughs> <laughs> so um so that was good and then I think so obviously once once I got a publishing deal it then went through quite a few edits so then it was thinking about um how to make it better and how to make it shine and how to make it really strong um but I don't think I don't think I found it hard book one um I'm now writing book two and I'm finding Yay! that a lot, a lot harder <laughs> So book one, I would say, was just lovely to write and uh, joyful. And um, I can't think of anything too, that I struggled with too much. Um, but book two yeah, has been a different story. So Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you don't have that tight deadline, I guess. And you're, you maybe you're falling into the pattern of maybe you are think, putting too much thought into something. So, yeah, that's a good point, though, you make. Like, you know, you're like, no, I just had to get it down. Like, I I couldn't like you couldn't take the time to you couldn't afford to to think too much about it or to like kind of second not second guess yourself but maybe consider too many other like options like too many paths for violet right like exactly how would she get how, like how many different ways can she get herself to from point a to point b like <laughs> no you just have to choose one and then be exactly. done with it like <laughs> yeah yeah that was it and i think it, it it freed up my writing because i just had to get it down um, and, and luckily what I got down worked, which is amazing. <laughs> and, um, and I think that because I had spent about five years, as I say, trying to be very serious and trying to write something moving and poor Violet was very depressed. And, 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 and so it was, it was that feeling of setting her free, set me free as well, which was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> So kind of like, you know, I do want to tap into like, um, I don't know, I, there's not much to say about Benjamin. He's just like a lovable, like, big old puppy. And he like matches her. He just seems to like accept her as she is. And he, you know, he he kind of matches her wit. Like he he plays, like, I love one of the scenes where he, she, she, <laughs> she's like, why did you shave your beard? Like, what are you doing? Like, what, like, why did you do that? And then like the next the next day she saw him, he was like wearing a fake beard. To like... <laughs> and I, that was so like funny. like their interactions. Like I, that's what part of the, like part of the dialogue and the interactions that made me love, like any just excited whenever they were on the page together, whenever they were in the same room is just kind of seeing that like little back and forth. Um, Did, so I'm guessing like, did Benjamin, did, did he, how did you develop his character? Did he come to you? Did you, ha- did you kind of have them pictured like you wanted them to there to be some sort of counterpart um, for her? Or did that did he kind of like show up later? Um, I definitely wanted a counterpart and I wanted. So, um, again, not to give a plot spoiler, but Violet yeah. learns that she wants to be a detective 
Um, and so I needed someone who could give her that support because I don't think it's something she could have done on her own. Um, and he seemed, um, he did sort of come into the story as I was writing, but he does seem, uh, you know, perfect foil for her and to help her um, become and grow who she, in, into who she wants to be. Um, he is, you know, obviously uh, my ideal man as well. <laughs> so I'm put the ideal man in the book. <laughs> and I quite like the idea that good relationships are full of humour um, as well. I think that doesn't always, always come across in books, but quite often mm. that thing and that that kind of back and forth and that banter is 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 what makes a relationship alive and what makes it kind of grow and 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 those bonds when you trust each other enough to have a good laugh. Um, so that was something that I wanted to put in as well. Yeah, no, very well done. I. Yeah, I, I liked him a lot. And I like that he was just like, he seems almost as like kind of clueless as her sometimes. Like he doesn't, he doesn't pick up on everything right away. He's just, you know, like, like how they realize later how, oh, this, you know, you're, you're spending a bit of time here. I didn't realize like, yeah, that kind of looks bad. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, like together. <laughs> <laughs> when it's just, yeah, at first it's just like an innocent, like professional, like mutual benefit where she's like well can I use your typewriter and I'll help you like type up I'll type up some things for you like I just want to learn you know Mm -hmm. and and then she ends up helping him sell an item without even knowing what she's doing like she (laughs) and I just I just I I loved it I love their interactions I think they're absolutely perfect for each other and um even though she's just like and, and I love how she you know innocently she's just like what like, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to be witnessing his muscles flexing. Like, that's not what I need to be, look. that's not what I, I need to be thinking about. I need to focus on this, this case. Like, I need to look at it. <laughs> and it's so, it's like, I'm like, yeah, girl. Like, what, like during those times where like just, that's an adds to the hilarity of like her inner monologuing where she's like, so unfamiliar, like she's just, these feelings like take her by surprise, but it's just like the natural, like deep ingrained, like primal like attraction of of that men and women or or same sex opposite sex whatever like that they Mm -hmm. go through like you can't help that you notice certain things or that you're like you can't help who you're attracted to and i love i love that she just she's like what it like wait what like she just it takes her (laughs) by surprise and she's it's it's definitely like new for her because she was totally fine with not noticing men or not paying attention to men and any suitors that came her way she was just like all right, you know, listen, I'm not going to waste your time. I have no interest in this. Like if, yeah, sure. Let's go for a walk, whatever. Like she, but she has no, like she's not, but then with Benjamin, she's just like, wait, what? Like she, she's like, no, this like, no, I cannot get distracted. Like, (laughs) and I love how it just like catches her off guard. And he, you know, he's, and he's just not, he's not trying to pursue her either. He's just like, kind of, you know, at least not initially. And he's just like trying to, focus on his shop and focus on mm-hmm. you know uh his business and not even really he's a little oblivious but that's what makes him like just like a a big lovable like <laughs> you know like counterpart for her and almost like perfect and i so i i think like yeah he he's he's like a, you know perfect man adjacent for sure and, and aside to like, at least for her like definitely good <laughs> And just um, yeah, I like I like that um, that that banter between 
people when they're nobody's quite sure about what the other person thinks I quite like writing that it's good fun so yeah it just it just like brings about like some of the funniest in our monologuing where he's just like well we could talk about it <laughs> she's <just> like <laughs> okay that is you know obviously without giving too much away but she's just like okay that is like the least like pre- romantic thing like that I've ever heard from anybody like it's just like <laughs> and that's just like okay like that like it's like what like some of those like perfect liners about her responses to him is just that's that's just what made what made me love her so much i'm just like like i i would love i would just love to be friends with her (laughs) friends with both of them actually i would love to be friends with both of them they're they're great (laughs) cool (laughs) (laughs) so yeah just a couple more questions before we wrap up here so okay you can answer this as best as you want to (laughs) because it's kind of like almost a four-part question um oh does does her father have a name i can't remember if if she just says my father or if he has a first name lucas Lucas. okay lucas yeah Yeah. his first name didn't um i don't think it appeared that much and so that's why yeah yeah, because she just refers to as like oh my father you know that's true. Or, or it's like Mr. Hamilton, right? Like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it. I just couldn't remember. I just couldn't remember <laughs> the name. Yeah. <laughs> um. What um. What advice would you give to Violet? What advice would you give to Lily, her mom? What mm-hmm. advice would you give to Lucas? And then, what advice would you give to Benjamin? About life generally, and just yeah. about going forward. If I, if I was sitting opposite them and they wanted my Council? Yes. yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think um, I would say to Violet that she has to be honest. Um, she's not really that honest in life, generally. She does like to lie about her charitable activities. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> and things like that. And I think she needs to be more honest with her father um, because I think her father tends to see her as a child or more of a young lady than she is. She's 28, so she's grown up. And I think she needs to have that conversation with him um, and prove that she's she's more of in control of her own fate than he thinks she should be at, at, at her age. Um, and um, Lily, advice for Lily, um, without wanting to give anything away, I think family ties are really important and I think she should remember that. Mm. Um, And I think she should, you know, she should have considered that when she disappeared from the pier (laughs) um, 10 years before. So I think that's something that um, would, would be top of my list for Lily. I think advice for Benjamin, was it? And and Uh, Lucas. And Lucas. Uh, okay, Lucas first. Um, advice for Lucas, I would say um, your daughter is more intelligent and more um, grown up and more um, wise than you, take, than you take her for. Don't tar her with the same brush as her mother. Don't um, try to listen to her um, and give her, you know, the benefit of the doubt and, and I mean, I don't know if any father would in those days listen to what their daughter really wanted 
<laughs> but if if he was to uh, listen to that advice, then I would say listen to your daughter and um, help her out um, and what she wants from life and see if you can help make that happen. Um, and Benjamin, I would just say carry on. You're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, like, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe, maybe up your romantic game a little bit, but um, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then I like love it when he kind of like just kind of like she just tries to run away from him too. Like she, she's very non-confrontational when it comes to like. Like that, I love that where she's like, like, I totally forgot about her lying about the charities, or because some of the things she comes up with are just like so absurd, like just like <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. like enough to like confuse people enough where she could just like run off and just like carry on, like you know, so they don't ask questions or they don't they don't have time to ask questions because she's like already moved on and and then um you know with yeah with him he I just I love that. Yeah, like she, she just needs to like. She's very non-confrontational in, mm-hmm. or she just second guesses herself. Where she's like, when she's questioning, um, Mister Knight, it takes her a bit to really like put her foot down. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's part of like her just, you know, like how you say, like I like the word, like her being kind of like liberated and and coming into mm-hmm. her own and just like really have like growing that confidence in herself to like. You know, at a time where women were just supposed to, like, know their place and fill that role <laughs> and just not ask questions and not not have any other ambitions. But she does, and um, she's trying to navigate that. And, like, yeah. I, that's one thing I know. Because I think I just relate to her in that aspect, like, but be non-confrontational and just kind of being like, well, but she has to work at it. Like, if she wants to find answers, if she wants to put her foot down, like, it takes it takes more work for her than it does for like other people, for example, you know? And I, I love that when she was just like, she's like, okay, now, no, now see here, you know, <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes from not being listened to. And I think probably in, in the past women haven't been listened to an awful lot. So even if you say something in a very firm voice, or you would say something, you you wouldn't necessarily have any authority and you wouldn't be listened to. But actually, I um, probably controversially think that running away from things isn't always a bad strategy, especially if you're in danger. (laughs) Um, So I quite like the fact that Violet just sometimes runs away. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't work always, but sometimes I think there's, there's no harm in it. And why, you know, staying to confront nasty people or danger isn't always the wisest option as when you're a small woman yeah Um, absolutely yeah that's a good point where there are situations where it's like no that's a smart move but that there's like other plays like she's just running away because she's like just uncomfortable and she doesn't want (laughs) to confront she doesn't want to confront certain feelings or um just she just doesn't want to have certain conversations and it's it's she she should. <laughs> she exactly, should. Yes. And life would get easier for her if she did, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I am so excited that book number two that you're working on it. Like I I didn't know if this was gonna be a standalone, so that makes me very happy that there's gonna be more violet in the future. Um what uh what can readers expect if you if you can talk about it? I think people can expect um more adventures, more joy, more fun, 
more laughter. Um, and it, things obviously are not completely perfect for Violet. There are still a few untied ends um, at the end of the story, although things are, you know, involved to an extent. But um, so I hope I'll be untangling a few more of those threads, um, but also just making sure that Violet has a, a, an exciting uh, full life for a Victorian woman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, do you have anything else that you're working on besides book number two that you could talk about? Any other projects? Not at the moment. Um, I did um, at one point do start a standalone novel, which was kind of Victorian Gothic, um, a little bit like Jane Eyre and uh, the Bronte books, but funny. <laughs> um, and there was a tradition in the 1960s as well of kind of very Victorian, of kind of gothic novels of heroines who sort of went to, strand, you know, houses on clifftops and, and, and met brooding heroes. And it was kind of reinvented a bit in the 60s. And I want to reinvent it again and make it funny. Yeah. So that's, something, something, that's a bit on the back burner at the moment because I'm writing sure. The sequel, yeah, but. I would definitely love to see see where you go with that. If uh, <laughs> what, if and when you get back to it, that that sounds really cool and interesting. And I would, you know, just like p- pushing the envelope, seeing seeing what you can come up with, right? I think it's lovely. I think it really freshened up that kind of uh, cozy crime um, genre. That I think, yeah, it'd be good fun to try it with other things as well. With for your debut novel, was it? Are you like a like? What kind of draws you to that like kind of cozy mystery? The um, you know, like little little bit of suspense. Like, did you? Was it always kind of like Violet, Lady Detective, kind of, or her ambition was kind of like to, you know, investigate people taking an investigative role? Is that just a genre that you draw your that you find yourself drawn to? I think it began with um, wanting Violet to find things out in life. That's kind of her. Um, raison d'etre I think is that she's trapped in ignorance and she just wants to find out everything in life and I think becoming a lady detective is the best way to find out about life and all its warts and all and all its you know people and stories and scandal and and everything and I think that was the, the way that came to me and um as to, to give her that that expanse and that and that kind of way to live a life and and as soon as I'd thought of that, that was kind of, then I moved into cosy crime. So I think my first concern was about finding a way because it is this kind of, it's also this coming of age story, even though she's 28, it is about her finding out about life and, and being a lady detective seemed the perfect way <laughs> for her to go out and find out what she needed to know. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So yeah, uh, Hannah Dolby, where can readers and listeners find you online on the internet and social media? So I'm on Twitter at um, at Lady Dolby. I'm not a lady, but it's <laughs> <laughs> a Twitter handle I, I created before I wrote the book. So I'm at um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Lady Dolby, and um, I'm on Instagram as I think it's Dolby underscore Hannah. Um, and I am on Facebook as well, but not so not so prevalent on Facebook. Yeah, sure. Do you have a you have a website? No, I think I was trying to find your website. You don't really have one, do you? I'm supposed to be setting one up as we speak. So any okay. moment, now, <laughs> a website will spring into life any moment now. Okay, per- perfect. Because I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in our show notes so that people can um, 
people can find you. So, all right, well, well, website pending. So, <laughs> you. yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Hannah Dolby, uh, No Life for a Lady. It's available for U.S. readers on May 9th. For UK readers, it's available now. Hannah, thank you so much. Like I said, I I love this book. I recommend it to like everyone, especially for you know people who like that cozy cozy crime. How you said it, and also um just the, the historical aspect of it. Like, historical fiction, I guess, is is kind of where it falls in. Um, but also mm-hmm. you know the lady ladies pushing boundaries, so to speak. So um, thank you so much. This was this is so wonderful. Thank you so much. And there you go. That was Hannah Dolby talking about No Life for a Lady. For us readers in the U.S., that comes out on May 9th. Please check out the show notes to see where you can find her on social media, on her website. Um, If it's live yet, we'll have to check on that. But either way, you'll find the links to that in the show notes, along with links to purchase the book. Please follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, The Nerd Cantina. Use on thenerdcantina.com. Keep in touch with us on the Facebook group and rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you do find books that you're really enjoying, please do go on Amazon and Goodreads and give them some reviews. Even if it's just a rating, it really does help the authors out. Uh, Thanks for listening.